paying me back for the swell thing. I, I can already sense it. That, that's right. The entire New Testament was written within 40 years of the death of Christ, and yet we're looking at other things, a few copies that were written hundreds of years later. Felt like what was coming was, I'm always the expert, Derek. <laughs> and now, the flaming sword. Oh, mercy. I got something for you. I'm ready. What do you have for me? <laughs> Remember when, um, I think it was a couple podcasts ago, you said you were swell? I was super swell, my okay. friend. <laughs> well, that's not from the 1960s like I had proposed, but it is from the 1930s. And that's probably right. Well, here's the thing. You're going to love this. It's an old word that basically means fantastic, generally used by old people. <laughs> or hipsters to try to sound hip. If you look up hipster, it's really not looking good for you. Let me just tell you that. Well, I got two things for you based on that. One is that I'm going to go with a real word from the 60s and say that I think the word swell is groovy. Groovy. There you go. And then the second thing I'm going to say is there might be some listeners that are confused that thought we were actually talking about apologetics for the defense of the Christian faith and not how can... Darren, get back at Joel for something he said two weeks ago. I'm just saying. <laughs> Look, everybody knows from listening to these podcasts, they know the epic failures I've already had. So if I don't throw some stuff out there, it just, I got to level the playing field. <laughs> I am going to create my own failures. And that's <laughs> my story and I'm sticking to it. You're going to stick to that? <laughs> you got it. Speaking of failures, for those who listened to the last podcast, we did have some phone calls. That was not orchestrated. <laughs> Although I didn't edit it out, it was going to be an issue. So I did add a little comedic overplay there afterwards. So I hope everyone enjoyed that. But that was not planned. And we got through that. Just real quick, it is important to let people know that both callers were absolutely enamored, enthralled, <laughs> and enraptured with our, pod our podcast. <laughs> Speaking of that, we had Carmine on. Carmine Hetrick. Yes. And What'd you think of that, Joe? He had some scientific evidences from the Bible. I thought it was uh, he, interesting. He did. And one of the things we're trying to do is just resource people and get them familiar with various ideas. And as much as the two of us might like to think that we have a monopoly on, uh, on defending the Christian faith, there are a lot of people with great ideas. So that's something we're going to keep doing. We'll probably have Carmine on again and some other folks so that they can get some other perspectives. So I thought it was great. Well, and there's more than just what he presented. He presented six evidences. You presented one there toward the end. And I know there's more because I've, I've studied them before myself. So just off the top of my head, I believe that they said that Columbus, because the Bible mentioned the distant coastlands, that he thought there was something else out there. And then the other one I can think of was the guy who discovered the sea currents. We know there's sea currents. The Bible talked about the paths in the sea. I don't know if that's yeah. in the, that may be from Joe, maybe in the Psalms. That's where he, uh, he knew there was paths in the seas, and then he discovered yeah. that. So that's interesting. Yeah. I think for some people, just realizing that there are scientific evidences can go a long way because some people are taught that if you're a Christian, you don't have any evidence for things you believe in. And so that in itself can be a big encouragement. Yeah. And what's good about this is that's just evidences of science in the Bible, which is just only one aspect. If you think about all the podcasts we've had so far, 
we're talking about different aspects that when taken as a whole, that's when you really start to create a, a great argument, a systematic argument, not only for God, but then for the Christian faith. Absolutely. In our first podcast, we ran an audio of Dr. William Lane Craig, which was talking about the existence of God. And what we didn't get to play, an interesting clip, which was part of the same debate. Now, he was debating a guy, Dr. Lewis Wolpert. I hope I got that right. W-O-L-P-E-R-T. Believes in evolution. Definitely is a is agnostic or atheist. But I wanted to play the second half of this clip here. You're going to get a kick out of this one. So just give me a second. Audience will love yeah. it. And uh, William Lane Craig was so enamored with our podcast as well that he wanted to make sure that we got this <laughs> clip on. Well, you said you knew him as Bill, that you were personal <laughs> friends. <and> then... <laughs> yeah, we are, we are swell friends. <laughs> All right, let me play this clip. But the codes haven't got to be God. Well, remember, I gave a, uh, an argument for thinking that this cause is timeless, yes, spaceless, immaterial, uh, enormously powerful, and personal. I think it's a computer. Well, that wouldn't, uh, computers are designed by people. I no, mean, no, this is a self-designing computer. Uh-huh. Timeless. Timeless. Well, that's a contradiction in terms. Why is it time? What's contradictory about it? A, a computer has to function, it takes Oh, time. no, this is a special computer. <laughs> yeah, but it has to be logically coherent. Oh, it's logically coherent? Yes, you have to be logically coherent. Oh, no, coherent. this and, computer and besides, is amazing. No, it, it, besides, it, it would have to be, as I said, a personal being. No. In, a computer is a physical Not this computer. Object. Oh, well, no. Okay. See, what you're doing is you're actually, what you're calling a computer is really God. A, a, a non-physical, non... It's just, it's just another word if you rob it of all the attributes that make it a computer. Unbelievable. All right. <laughs> I don't know... We can laugh at that, but then it's sad. Yeah. I mean, this guy is like in the top of the line as a, I want to say he's in biology. And it's just amazing that he would make that statement. Yeah. Too in-depth to get into right at the moment. But essentially, you can have people that are very, very smart, but that can deny something that seems so obvious. And the, the Bible actually has some things to say about that. Yeah. It essentially talks about why that is, why these people that can be very intelligent in other ways will still deny God. And it has, it's not because there isn't good evidence. It's for another reason. So I'm going to leave it there. And that's going to get people excited about some future podcast. We'll get into that. I just had one little thing to add that I did look him up. He's actually suffered from depression and wrote a book on it. But when I looked up some of his videos, one of the comments that he made was, it was talking about growing old. And I guess he was writing a book on growing old. And he, he made the comment that, Kind of like he really couldn't figure it out because from an evolutionary perspective, we're here to just to reproduce. And then he didn't know what meaning there was after that. And I'm thinking, mm. how sad. Just, oh, just absolutely. nuts. Wow. Um, well, Joe, we're going to talk about manuscript evidence for the scriptures, why we believe the Bible is the word of God. And, and that's one of the, the evidences. And you're going to start discussing that. And that should take us through the podcast here. Hopefully, I'll, I'll be able to chime in. But you're the expert here today. <laughs> and don't say well, you're the expert always. <laughs> no, I, <laughs> I, 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 I felt like what was coming was, I'm always the expert, Darren. <laughs> I I was actually just going to go a little bit humble there and say, I don't know that I would ever call myself the expert, but if you want to even just once, <laughs> I will take it. The thing that's great about manuscript evidence is there are 
really several categories or some different ways to look at it. And so I just want to mention them generally, and then we'll get into the details a little bit. And I know on, on all of these, there are people that disagree or have some pushback. So we'll get into some of that as well. But first of all, people need to know that there are there's just an incredible amount of copies of Old and New Testament scriptures, and some are fragments or parts of books. Um, in 1947, the Dead Sea Scrolls were found, which people might yeah. be familiar with that term. And in there, there were copies from the Old Testament, even much older than anything we had before. But in general, we have lots and lots of copies, actually a lot more copies um, than we do of, of other types of people in history that no one would question whether or not they existed or whether or not they're accurate. So let me just again move to a couple of these other categories. Also, something that's called oral tradition. Now, we live in a time, especially since smartphones, that we really don't have to remember a whole lot. And, and because of that, maybe our memories aren't so good all the time, especially Darren has some struggles with that. Um, but the thing <laughs> oh, about the pay, culture is... <laughs> paying me back for the swell thing. I can, I can already sense it. That, that's right. Hey, brother, fi finish yeah. your thought, but you talked about the memory thing. I do have something on that. At the time of Jesus and, and before that in the Old Testament, people's memories were, were very, very important. And because a lot of people didn't, um, didn't even have copies, we, we're so used to seeing books and things, we don't realize just how expensive it was for these scrolls to be produced and the papyrus that they wrote on. And so it was a, a treasure to even have the written word. So as a result, many people were used to memorizing uh, large portions of text because they didn't have it personally. It's interesting that even Jesus particularly and other rabbis, when they talked, they would actually put their teachings in such a way that they were helping people to remember them. And we lose a lot of that, a lot of that in English, but in the original languages, they, were, they would teach in certain systems because that culture was, you know, the oral tradition was so important. The point being that today we would think, well, maybe they just didn't remember a lot of those things. And by the time they got copied, they were making lots of mistakes, but just not true. It was very important for them to get things right. And then we have a couple other general categories. We have external evidence. So that would be uh, what's said about the Bible from people that didn't author the Bible. And probably the, the main source there that's, that's a credible source by many people uh, was somebody named Flavius Josephus, which is a fantastic <laughs> name in and of itself. But Josephus <laughs> is a, a very well-respected Jewish scholar. And some of the things that he uh, recorded, especially he, he himself was an eyewitness of the destruction of Jerusalem and the temple in AD 70. And some of the things that he says and, and how they relate back to some prophecies about that are just incredible. So that'd be external evidence. And there's other evidence by, by Tacitus and some others, but Josephus is probably the most credible source. And then the internal evidence, what did the writers of scripture say about themselves? And so you have authors of scripture that themselves were part of the storyline. And then there's one other element we'll get to kind of a, to close things out. You know, Darren, you said you had a comment. Yeah, I was actually just listening to uh, Dr. Michael Heiser, one of his podcasts today. And he was talking about this aspect. When they would copy the scriptures, and we're going back before chapters and verses were added, because that was added later, much later. Right. They would actually be able to just put like the first letter of the sentence and be able to know that when they was reading that, it, it would be like us going back and saying, okay, chapter one, verse two, just by putting that first letter, it would bring, it would jog their memory of knowing what word was next and what they were talking about. And he was just saying the, the memory aspect that they had would just defy any concept of memory we have today. And he went on to make the comment, we got TV today. We got all these distractions. These people, the ones who were copying these materials, it would be passed down from generation to generation. And that was their goal. That was their thing in life. That's what they did. And they did it well. 
Absolutely. And just to follow up on that, before the Dead Sea Scrolls, the oldest copies that we had of portions of the Old Testament were somewhere just a couple or 300 years, 80s after the life of Christ. And there, there's some different opinions on some of that. But the point is, when we, the Dead Sea Scrolls, which were discovered in 1947, those copies of some Old Testament texts were about a thousand years older than what we had previously. And yet when you line those up, there was virtually you know, no difference. Every once in a while, you'd have a a spelling difference, maybe a style difference, but in terms of the overall meaning conveyed, no difference whatsoever. And, and the Old Testament copyists, they took this so seriously, like you were just saying, that they would actually record the middle letter of the entire Old Testament. In Hebrew, letters line up with numbers, and then they would look at the middle letter of each line of the text, and that was one of those they determined. So in other words, say you made a copy, and you noticed that the letter C was in that particular line 17 times. I'd need to make sure the letter C was in my copy 17 times in that same line. And, and it's just amazing. And what this is something that I want to just clear up. We, we talk about the Bible being inspired, and they'll say, well, were the copies inspired? All, all our translations inspired? What was inspired or breathed out by God was what's called the autographer, which was the original copies. And so we're not claiming that the copies hundreds of years later or all the translations are inspired. It was the, those original texts and those original languages. But what we are saying is that all the copies, you know, multiple thousands and tens of thousands, there's nothing in those that would change the overall meaning. And if there was a copy that was different, then you had the benefit of lining that up with thousands of other copies. So it's really easy to fix mistakes. Yeah, that's something else that I think that people misunderstand and they try to push back and say, well, okay, you guys claim the originals were inspired, but if there's any mistakes at all, doesn't that prove that it's not from God? The answer to that is no. And that's another, another thing that I've heard Dr. Heiser talk about was God worked through men, but he still worked through that culture, culture that they were in. And then those men dedicated to God by the guidance of the Holy Spirit wrote these scriptures, but they still, the men themselves, could make mistakes but we know from going back, looking at the manuscripts and comparing them, I think, what is it, like less than a percent, like way less than a percent variant when you really take them all together, which I guess just from looking at it from a, if from mankind trying to do something, it's just extraordinary when you consider they didn't have computers, they didn't have the, the resources that we have today. So it's still extraordinary. It is. And here's the thing, and I hope I can explain this correctly. I think it's actually better in a way that we don't have the originals. And here's why. If, now, there's no evidence that anybody that's copied the Old Testament and the New Testament ever purposely tried to change a text. There's just no evidence of that. They, they took the Word of God so seriously. And there are places in the Bible itself that says if anyone adds a word to this, if anyone takes a word away, that that's a bad thing. And so these copyists wanted to get everything exactly perfect. But if we had the originals and somebody went and made an error on the originals, then we would be in big trouble because we'd, we'd say, well, maybe the whole thing is, is kind of a racket. But knowing that the people might change copies, but you have all these copies to compare it with, I think that was actually God in a way protecting things. Because we have a way, if there's a variant, to go back and look at the other texts. Because we don't have the autographer, the original, there's no way we can say, well, somebody went back and tampered with it. Um, and the other thing that sometimes as, as human beings that we tend to do with things that if we had found the originals, I'm afraid somebody might have stuck them up on a wall somewhere in a museum and we would have revered or even idolized the scriptures themselves. That's happened in other um, another face with various things. So the fact that we don't have, and I hope I explained that well, but the fact that we don't have the originals actually is a, is a good thing in some ways. Yeah. And compared to all other writings from antiquity, 
Because the same people who look back and they look at like Plato or Aristotle and you look at these writings from antiquity and well, anything from that time period, compared to that, things that people accept, but then they reject the New Testament and the Old Testament. But, but if they use the same standard of measure, then they shouldn't be able to do that. And the argument that they try to give is usually, well, what's the resources outside of the actual resource? Meaning, what is it that's not the New Testament itself? What is it that's not the Old Testament? Well, if you think about that, that's kind of silly. So that'd be like saying, you know, you mentioned Josephus earlier. That'd be like saying, well, who quoted Josephus? And if only one person quoted Josephus, we can't take Josephus's writing. It's it's just a, I really don't understand the logic of where they're coming from, except the fact that they just don't want to accept the true biblical accounts as facts, the same way they would what Plato said or what Aristotle or someone else. Right. Some, some of those ones you mentioned, uh, another really well-known person in history would be Alexander the Great. Some of those, you only have a, a few copies, maybe you know 10 or 20 copies of things, sometimes that were written two to 300 years later. And we have the, I'll just go to the New Testament here. Um, and, and some people differ on this slightly, but I actually believe that all the books in the New Testament um, were written before AD 70. And I mentioned earlier the destruction of Jerusalem. That was such a huge event, something we'll get into more later, I'm sure. And if there would have been some letters written after that, and they wouldn't have mentioned all of Jerusalem, the over a million people killed, probably around two million that went into slavery, the destruction of their temple, their whole religious system, in essence, was, was obliterated. Uh, it would have been really odd for nobody to write that. So I actually believe the entire New Testament was written within 40 years of the death of Christ. And yet we're looking at other things with a few copies that were written hundreds of years later. And and you're right, there's no comparison. And let me just go to some numbers now, because this is pretty exciting. Now, I don't know if you're a, are you a football fan, Darren? Not really. (laughs) Not really. (laughs) Come on. That's okay. All right, no, that's okay. I, I used to be. I used to be more. I don't follow it like I used to. But but I, I can guarantee you that we there's going to be football fans that's, that's listening. And by the way, we're we're just about out of time, brother. So all right. Well, this is a good way to wind things down a little bit. So the Denver Broncos. I think they have a new stadium now. Their stadium used to be called Mile High Stadium, and a lot of teams would have trouble playing a Mile High Stadium just simply because of the elevation, and, and Denver would have a little advantage. With that in mind, for the New Testament texts themselves, if you took together all the parchments, all the scrolls, and stacked them up page by page, how high would it be, Darren? That's crazy. A mile high. Is that not (laughs) That is nuts. That is crazy. And then you you add all the New Testament and Old Testament texts together, you've got over 66 thousand copies and it ends up being you know millions of, of pages and it's pretty outrageous and, and let me just just kind of end with a with a scripture that talks about what internal evidence that these that these authors um, were also participants so Moses would be an example where Moses is talking about details that he wouldn't have known if he was really in the story and certainly Jesus does the same thing but there's a quote here from Peter it, it starts I think it's first Peter 1 verse 16 I may have the wrong reference there and I apologize if I do but it's It says this, Peter says, We did not follow cleverly devised tales when we made known to you the power and coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. And it goes on, and and other authors say the same thing. And for people that would say, well, we're not sure about that. Again, there were so many things in those letters that showed they were people from that culture. Um, They knew different idioms about the culture they just couldn't have known. So again, like you said earlier, if it was just one or two of these things here, maybe somebody could be skeptical, um, honestly. But you put this all together, and there is just overwhelming evidence that we can trust God's word, that we really can believe that it was indeed breathed out by God. Can I get an amen?
There's a good story of the famous atheist turned Christian C.S. Lewis who mm. actually studied mythology and studied ancient writings and he knew them. And through the help of others, actually J.R. Tolkien, uh, the Lord of the Rings fame, and him and another guy was kind of dealing with Lewis some. And long story short, you, in Christian circles, you hear the saying, the myth that's true, which kind of yeah. come out of the fact that C.S. Lewis realized, you know, this this isn't a myth. This is real. This is true. There really was a Christ. There really was a resurrection. And him being an expert in the mythologies and the other uh, writings of antiquity, that does carry some weight. Yeah, and and for anybody who's interested, um, C.S. Lewis wrote one of his books addressed a lot of that. It's called Surprised by Joy, and it's kind of his journey from atheism to Christianity. And then he also has a, a, a classic called Mere Christianity that is a real good place for people to start that want to learn more of the evidences for the Christian faith. All right, folks, thanks for being with us. And I, I believe next time we're going to try to have Carmine back, and we're going to try to get into a little bit more on intelligent design. That would be awesome. All right. Hey, thanks, folks. She comes in here and she looks in the mirror. Listening to The Flaming Sword. Until next time, remember, love the sheep. Bah. Shoot the wolves. Oh.